Hello, I'm Wayne Park, and welcome to Oikonomics, a podcast about the science of ministry, work, administration, and the summing up of everything. Keep coming back for relevant teachings and talks on these subjects and more. Please enjoy the show. We're continuing our talks on entrepreneurial vocation. And in the last episode, I talked about the experience of being stuck at the wall. And we talked through the critical journey stages. Today, I'd like to continue in a discussion about something that I will call value. And to set the stage uh, in this discussion about value, especially as it pertains to faith and work, and in particular, entrepreneurial vocation, I want to tell a story that is one of those stories that doesn't make me look good, but at the same time, I think will illustrate the point that understanding value is a necessary part of vocational growth, and in particular, entrepreneurial vocation. So years ago, as the story goes, a friend from seminary asked me to write him a recommendation for a role at a prominent church in Seattle that apparently I had some clout with. Now, I knew that this brother was a little rough around the edges, but he really meant well, and he was a decent guy, and I wanted to help him out. So I went ahead, and I wrote and sent the recommendation, and it led to an interview. Thereafter, I received a phone call from the senior pastor of the church, who was a friend and mentor of mine, and he probed about my reasons for submitting this recommendation and how I came to my evaluation of the candidate. He said something to the effect that, how did you, how did you arrive at your understanding of this person? And, and right away, I began to sense that um, perhaps I had made a mistake. And then he said something that has stuck with me to this day. He said, the only reason we considered this gentleman's application was because of you. So apparently, I discovered my friends, my seminary friend, his roughness around the edges, it still came through, even in the interview. And my word through that process, it was discredited a little bit. Looking back upon that incident, I discerned three failed understandings of value. There were certainly some things that I was missing, and I wanted to do a solid for a friend, but there were a couple of areas where I was misunderstanding the dynamics that were at play, and in particular this, this phenomenon or this, this concept that I want to talk about at length today called value. The uh, first area was that I overestimated the true value of my friend's professional competency. And this actually would would be proven even years later when it turns out that he wasn't able to hold down a job. And um, I was the one that was recommending him for this important role. And that leads to the second thing. I actually underestimated the true value of the church's need for good and stable leadership. You see, had I thought about the needs of the larger body of Christ, uh, as opposed to the needs of one person, my perhaps my value system would have changed a little bit there. They needed a solid leader and a safe person for this role. So just as much as I was overestimating, in this case I was underestimating 
the, in a sense, the value of the church and their need for good leadership. And finally, third, I also underestimated the true value of my word with the church as well as the pastor who was a friend and mentor to me. Wayne, your words have clout. You, you realize that. We wouldn't have given this, up, this interview uh, were it not for your personal recommendation. I learned something that day that I would like to share with you, and hopefully it will um, spare you perhaps a similar kind of incident and perhaps also spur you on to a deeper level of vocation as well as um, this thing called social capital. And really this concept that I'm talking about, value, which I think undergirds all of those things. Now, what is value? Economically speaking, it's the perceived price of goods and services. Uh, Theologically speaking, it's not explicitly spoken about as a subject in the scriptures, but it is implicit in many areas, whether it's Jesus' discipleship exhortations, where he talks about counting the cost and he talks about, you know, uh, figuring out if you can build this tower or go to war. Or even in the Old Testament, the ethical basis of biblical wisdom literature, it talks very much about value. Uh, It mentions skills quite explicitly, I believe, in some places. Overall, I would say that value is the estimation of something's worth. And I might define it as such. Value is capacity, capability, and competency. Those three C's right there. Of course, I have infinite value in the eyes of God. I'm not discounting that by any means, but I have, as a human being, a very limited and real capacity, a very limited and real capability, and a very limited and real competency. And whether those are great or small, what are the boundaries thereof? There's a book that I read years ago called The Power of Uniqueness, and it talks about how we have been uniquely made, yes, in the image of God, but nonetheless uniquely made. And it makes the case, therefore, that not all of us can be the President of the United States. As someone or may have told you growing up, you can be the President of the United States. On the one hand, the aspirational nature of that statement should not be lost. There's the potential in this nation for an immigrant, for for somebody who comes up on the wrong side of the tracks or from a tough neighborhood. Yes, you can rise. You can you can ascend perhaps to the highest office in the nation. But at the same time, I think the case needs to be made and is rightly made in the power of uniqueness that we are not all designed with that capacity, capability, and competency. And it argues for a specificity as well as a a self-understanding of our vocational call and identity, which is very necessary. So as we dive into the subject of value, I'd like to do three things today. First, I would like to exposit a passage from Luke to get us oriented in the scripture. I think that there's something important to be read in this passage. So that's the first thing, a passage from Luke. Second, 
I want to share yet another tool for your use. So I'm going to share a tool second. And third and last, I'm going to leave you with several closing principles, three specifically, three closing principles, three, cl three closing thoughts to close us out for this podcast episode. So first, let's go ahead and dive right into that first, um, that first heading, this passage from Luke, specifically Luke chapter 14, verses 25 to 35. Listen to the word of the Lord. Large crowds were going along with Jesus, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who observe it begin to ridicule him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and consider whether he is strong enough with 10,000 men to encounter the one coming against him with 20,000. Or else, while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So then, none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possessions. Therefore, salt is good, but if even salt has become tasteless, with what will it be seasoned? It is useless either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now contained herein in these passages, verses 25 to 35 of Luke 14, really there's, there's a couple of things happening. There's two stories and there's three statements. So there's two stories about the dangers of misevaluation, just like I misevaluated at this beginning story, misevaluating the situation, the needs of the church, and the, this person's capability and competency. So there's two stories here about misevaluation. The first is building a tower without a sense of value or without an ability to count the cost. So right away, you can see that this reads as a sense, do you know what you're getting into? So that's the first, that's the first uh, story about the danger of misevaluation. The second is going to war without a sense of what you're getting into. Yeah, I can take him, uh, said the little guy. Um, I mean, can you really take him on? Are you prepared to do this? Think about this. And in addition to that, those two stories, Jesus offers three counting the cost statements, each of them almost stand alone as, as sayings of Jesus, independent sayings of Jesus. The first is in verse 26 where he says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, I'm not going to get into an exposition of the concept of hate here. That's outside of the, the purview of this discussion. But the main thrust of the idea here seems to be this. There is a very real cost to discipleship, and therefore, its placement in this passage talks about value and how we have to be able to properly assess value. In particular, of the, the, the 
the act of following Jesus as well as who it is that we're following. You know, it, it seems to me that Jesus is discouraging fair-weather followers here who don't have a realistic grasp of what they're getting into, nor the value of who they are following. Do you know what you're getting into, Jesus seems to be saying, and do you know who it is that you're following? I mean, not to miss a sign, um, this anecdote here. In some ways, it's going to fall short. But, you know, I've heard stories of executives, corporate executive types, and how they've sacrificed their time to mentor younger protégés, only to be stood up for meetings, or the protégé shows up perennially late or something like that, which almost betrays the sense of, I don't appreciate or value your time. And then the executive would say that, you know, of course, the consummate, you know, you know, pretty much the, state, the standard statement, do you know how much an hour of my time costs? So there's a communication of value there. There's a communication of value, a very real sense of value. And when it's not respected or appreciated, uh, the person almost seems to be discouraged. You know, if you're not going to show up, then you're, you're, you know, you're not going to be my protege. I'm not going to have you as a disciple if you don't know what you're getting yourself into. So Jesus is almost appealing to the sense like, hey, hey, like, heads up here. Like, do you know what you're getting into? The second counting the cost statement is in verse 27, where Jesus says, Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. He's saying here, in order to be a disciple, you have to know what a cross is. You have to know that following me involves a real cost, a costly grace, as Dietrich Bonhoeffer would put it, and it is certainly not a cheap grace. You see, if we don't know the value of a cross or the cost of following Jesus, Bonifer talks about this as a cheap grace replacing discipleship. He says, um, he says this in uh, The Cost of Discipleship. Bonifer says, cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without repentance. It is baptism without church discipline. It is communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus Christ. Now, I don't need to get into specifics here, but any of you who have been enough around fair-weather followers know what is being said here. You understand what Bonifer is talking about. In fact, the idea of costly grace versus cheap grace that is Bonifer's. That is Bonifer's teaching. That's where it, it first comes from. Uh, I mean, of course, it goes back to Jesus, but Bonifer coined the phrase "cheap grace." Nothing cheapens grace more than an inability to discern value, because it's through value that we understand cost. There's one more a third counting the cost statement, and it comes in verse 33. Jesus says, So then, none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possessions. 
the gravitas of that statement is not lost on any of us, let alone all the other previous ones about relationships and laying down our own life and the cross and etc. I think what we can glean from this statement is that value must be liquefiable, not just abstract. Value must be liquefiable and not just abstract. It's a hard measure, a hard quantity, a real amount, everything. And it's this ability to understand what I'm getting into when I don't just jump headlong into things, but I count, I measure, I'm aware of my worth and salt or the worth and salt of this cause or this person that I'm following. And that's what makes true disciples, especially in a time of great wishy-washiness and, and churches that are a mile wide but only inches deep. You see, what happens in, in, in contexts like that where, where it's just wishy-washiness and, and, and cheap grace and, and no discipleship and we're not very deep in our spiritual faith, really what happens is if we, we not only lose our worth in salt, we don't really have a good understanding of value. Don't get me wrong. God's grace and love for us is endless. And yes, he will forgive us all of our sins. And yes, he receives us with open arms when we mess up. But at the same time, value demands that we understand consequences to our actions as well. In the Old Testament, there's a, there's a, a, a famous story that many of you probably know where, unfortunately, King David commits adultery and murder all in one. Well, God forgives him because he's a man after his own heart and he loves him. Well, let's see what happens. The, the prophet Nathan comes to him and says, hey, you know, I heard this story about this guy and uh, he had a, a lamb that he loved very much and he raised it and it grows up with him and his children. And, and then here comes this rich dude and he says, hey, give me your lamb. I want to, I want to kill it and prepare it for a meal for my friends. And, uh, and he takes the poor man's lamb and gobbles it up. Now David hears the story and David burns with anger. And he says, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. In fact, he must pay for that lamb four times over. And of course, you know the outcome of the story, hopefully, all of you seminarians. Nathan says, you are that man. You are that man. Now, did David cease being a man after God's own heart? No. David continues to this day to be the paragon of the high king of Israel. His star still flies on the flag of Israel. But did David pay the consequences for his sin? The pronouncement, let him pay four times over, in many ways was played out exactly in David's life. He lost four sons. There was the son that was conceived through the affair with Bathsheba. That son died. There was Prince Amnon, David's firstborn son, who was, who was killed by his own brother Absalom. There was Absalom himself. And then there was Adoniah. And 
I mean, four sons, son after son, what is this repeated cycle? Why is this happening? There is a spiritual root to that. There is a consequence. What this communicates is there is a thing called value. And if we succumb to the easy believism that is kind of the trademark of pop religion and pop Christianity, then we will never really understand value, nor will we become disciples. There are consequences, there are costs, and there is value, and it is very real. Jesus says in that same verse, Luke 14, verse 34, Therefore salt is good, but if even salt has become tasteless, with what will it be seasoned? It's useless. Either for the soil or for the manure pile, it's thrown out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So in that regard, it is, it is my opinion that one of the biggest deterrents to deeper discipleship, it's actually a doctrinal error. That is to say, it's an inability to properly evaluate and even self-evaluate. And I think largely it's due to a conflation of our infinite worth as the imago Dei, which is the image of God with all other areas of our lives. So if we are to hear this message of uh, God loves you and you are the image of God, it's true. There's nothing not true about it. But at the same time, if we conflate that with capacity, with capability, with competency, we, heck, I'm, I should run the world. I should run the universe. We can, we can just, you know, close down shop and Wayne's got it. But the reality is my competency in certain areas, my, my social capital is limited, my ability to speak in multiple languages or do this or do that, even my educational capacity all has limits. And recognizing that, even in, con even in contrast, even set in contrast with our understanding of our own infinite worth as the image of God is important. Now, on that note, I'd like to introduce a spiritual tool, and this gets us into the second heading, which is where I want to take a moment to introduce you to something called an inventory of value, a self-inventory. And the link for this you can find in your liner notes um, or for my students even on the Canvas page. But this is a simple chart, and it's found at the link provided uh, it's also called Tears of Value. It's something that I came up with in my doctoral studies uh, for the purpose of being able to properly assess my value with a sober mind, with a sober eye, even as it stands against my infinite value as the image of God. So you'll see straightaways on the left hand of this chart is this, is this one... Um, single arrow seemingly going through the roof. And that is our value as children of God. That is our infinite worth as the divine image of God. But next to it on the right, you'll see several categories. These categories are professional competency, experience, social capital and connections, holiness and ethics, and there's even room for more. In many ways, this is a chance for us to soberly assess myself. And it's not a chart designed to share with anybody else unless you wanted to. 
but it's something for myself to recognize, hey, I need to really understand. I mean, I don't have a lot of professional competency. I don't have a lot of education, but I have a lot of experience. Does that count for something? It, it, it might. It might. Being able to see that. Or recognizing that I might not have a lot of experience, but I have a lot of social capital. People trust me. They like me. I'm able to, by the way, I have a wide network. Can I enter into this endeavor of building this tower with the resources that I have on hand, with the social resources? Do I have holiness power and ethical power? Uh, this is, it might sound like, what is this doing here? It it, it, it belongs in there because without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Without ethics, I can guarantee you, you're not going to get very far in work. We might for a while, but the truth always outs. The truth always outs if we are not ethical people. And so recognizing in these categories, and again, in that, in that chart that you see there, in the link that I provided, there's room for more on the right. You can add in more categories I don't know, um, perhaps um, perhaps um, the networks that you have or perhaps your competency in this area, your capability, uh, physical fitness. Um, there's a number of things that you might want to add. And mind you, you might chafe against this exercise. I, I hope that your reaction is not so much to kind of say, I, I, don't, I, I have infinite value in the eyes of God. I don't, I don't want to... I don't want to draw smaller arrows next to that. Um, and it seems compartmentalizing. That said, the benefit of this exercise, it can be found in seeing yourself more accurately, not just for worse, but even for the better. You see, some of us, if we come from a shamed, shame-based mindset, we might say, well, you know, I'm really no good. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not worth anything. And on all of these categories named, I'm just like a, a one out of 10. Then all the more you need to see this, especially weighed up against that first arrow that just goes through the roof, that in the eyes of God, as a child of God, as in the image of God, you have infinite worth and value. So you see this goes both ways. For those of us of a shame-based mindset, we need to be able to rightly appraise ourselves, rightly appraise ourselves and give us the benefit of the doubt. But conversely, um, for those of us that have an inflated sense of importance in some areas, it might help for us to be sobered up a little bit. And so that is the purpose of this tool. Um, for my SF students, of course, this is not anything that's graded or anything like that. In fact, I'm not even going to ask you to share. This is another tool for your use. Finally, I'd like to offer you, in closing this third piece, a few closing principles. A few closing principles. As I reflect on value, I hope that your takeaway in this will amplify your understanding of yourself. I hope that it will certainly launch you into newer entrepreneurial thinking as you realize that you actually have value in areas that you did not realize. This is your giftedness. This is your, your power of uniqueness, as I alluded to earlier. So those three closing principles I wish to offer you are this. First, without value, we cannot become disciples because we can't count the cost. 
We cannot become disciples because we don't know how to count the cost without value. The second principle is when we understand value, we become worth our own weight and salt. A right understanding of value leads to us rightly appraising ourselves, becoming worth our own weight and salt. Some groups call this right-sizing yourself or seeing yourself uh, right-sized. And the third thing, the third principle is weighty people make solid disciples. So I'm going to read this once through again in sequence. First, without value, we cannot become disciples because we cannot count the cost. Second, when we understand value, we become worth our own weight and salt. Third, weighty people make solid disciples. May your vocation reflect this increasing sense of self-awareness that will result in greater and greater capacity, capability, and competency. Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to learn more, visit us online at www.oikonomics.com. That's O-I-K-O-N-O-M-I-K-S dot com.